Today's episode is sponsored by 3C Board Games, an indie game publisher from Brussels, Belgium. Their first game, Multiverse War, is live on Kickstarter right now. It's a game for 2-4 to four players and takes about 90-240 to 240 minutes to play and has 5 possible victory conditions. It's a 4x game with area control, tactical combat, RPG style character progression, and unique heroes set in a medieval heroic fantasy world beyond the mysterious stone portal. So if any of that tickles your imagination, you should definitely go check out Multiverse War on Kickstarter now. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about what it looks like to turn your customers into raving fans, to turn your playtesters into raving fans, into people that just can't stop talking about your company, about your game, about you as a designer, you as a publisher, you as a person, all those good things. And we're talking to Casey Hill from Hill Gaming Company. Casey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Gabe. Yeah, man, really excited for you to be here. You're a guy that works basically in this industry. Your full-time gig is helping you know businesses and creators effectively reach out to their customers, reach out to their fans, and build relationships and get them to just have uh, an incredible customer service experience. You work at the company called Bonjoro, which uh, we'll get into in a little bit, what, what you guys do over there, and, and just, it's some really cool stuff I'm excited about. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just pumped to have you on the show and talk through these things. This is a, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. I bring it up, I feel like, all the time. In uh, you know, kind of bits and pieces on episodes, and so I'm excited just to uh, devote an entire episode to what it looks like to create raving fans. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and, and definitely excited to chat about it too. I think I think now more than ever, it's, it's such an important topic. Um, my name is Casey. Um, I, I work at, as you noted, as the head of growth at a technology company called Bonjoro, does personal video. Um, I'm also a board game designer, so I also run um, Hill Gaming Company. Um, we launched our first game, Archon, um, back about a year and a half ago. Um, so kind of in both of those worlds. And um, just a little quick background on me. Um, I grew up in a really kind of entrepreneurial household. My, my dad ran a company. My grandpa ran a company. My cousin ran a company. So, you know, at a very young age, I was definitely around a lot of the culture of kind of entrepreneurialism and, and that kind of whole atmosphere. Um, and I also came from a very heavy gaming family. So there was seven of us um, and board games and video games, both kind of were central ways that we all connected together as a family, um, especially with the parents. I think board games were really instrumental. So I kind of fell in love with both of those spheres, if you will, the, the gaming sphere, as well as um, just kind of the entrepreneurial side too. And, you know, as I got a little older, kind of tried to blend those into my career of, of where I'm at now. Yeah, very cool. And so as we get into the topic, I want to, so I want to give basically my definition. I don't do this normally. Usually I say, all right, you know, whoever's on the show, tell me what you think a raving fan is. But in this one, I want to give what I believe is a really good definition. It comes from a guy named Ken Blanchard who kind of trailblazed this whole concept. And then you give me kind of like what you think based on that, you know, because this is like 1993. He wrote this, Ken Blanchard wrote this amazing book called Raving Fans, something I read years ago, phenomenal book. I highly recommend it a lot of people. There's some other books that are also really, really good that we're going to be talking about as well. But this is what Ken Blanchard said. A raving fan is a customer who is so overwhelmed and floored by the customer service that they've received that they can't stop talking 
about it. And so I think that's just, it's great. Like you provided such a good experience that they, they want to go tell people, right? They don't want to just buy the product, take it home. And, and, you know, in our case, you know, play a game. They, they do that, but then they want to get on, on social media and you know, they will tell their friends, Hey, this company is amazing. And so that's kind of the general definition I've been working with for a while. What, what would you say though, is kind of your definition. Is it something similar to that? Is there something you want to add to it change or what? It, it's very similar. And I just want to kind of springboard off something you said, because I think it's so critical and it's the experience, right? You noted the experience part. And I think that's such a huge part about um, basically raving fans and super fans and customer advocates. It's people, it's people that have connected with the experience around your brand, right? You look at a place like Disneyland. Disneyland isn't about roller coasters. It's about going somewhere with your family. It's some magical place, right? It's about the experience. And I think the companies that are really able to build these strong raving fans that end up being advocates, that end up telling people, that end up spreading the word are, are people that are investing in that very thing, the experience. And so I think that just like you said, my definition around raving fans are people that through no kind of incentivization that you have to do are just naturally spreading the word because of the fact that they're so amazed at the experience that they want to tell other people about it. Right. And I think that to me is, is the cornerstone of, of kind of what defines it and what, what it's built around. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's not that you said in a Facebook post or a Twitter post or Instagram, something like that, Hey, if you share this, then you'll get a chance to win a game. Or if you share this, you'll get a chance to, you'll get $10 off your next order or something like that. Now that's, that's gamification. That's just an incentive to get a certain response out of people because they want the reward. That's not what we're saying. We're saying you provided such an incredible experience with your company, with your game at your playtest group. I mean, that's also saying it's not just business. This is also just personal relationships as well that people can't help but go out and, and, and preach your praises, right? And just really talk about how great your game is, your company is, the experience. I think also this uh, is the case when, you know, somebody's really upset, right? Recently, all of us listening to this have probably had some kind of a situation where our plans have changed, our travel plans, our airline tickets, all these things. And the companies that did a really good job with handling that crisis of just everything changing, like I saw so many people go online and say, hey, this was a terrible situation, but this company handled it really, really well. And I've seen the complete opposite. This is a terrible situation. And this company was absolute garbage. Don't use them. They're terrible. And so this can also you know, be on the other side That's, uh, as well. Go ahead. I, I, love that you, I love that you brought that up because it, it brings to mind an example um, that was so impactful and stays with me to this day. It was a company um, that we probably, m- most of us know, Wizards of the Coast, Magic the Gathering. So I was set up to have this big party and I had bought these boxes of cards and all of us were going to do drafting and all this stuff. And we were prepared and I opened up the product and probably about 20% of them were, had like severe ink damage, whatever happened, it was a bad printing run and they had severe ink damage. So we made do with what we had, but afterwards I reached out to Wizards of the Coast and I essentially said, Hey guys, like, you know, this, this product was messed up and how they responded always stuck with me because it spoke to that exact thing, which is. How do you go above and beyond to fix something? What wizards realized is they realized it wasn't just about the physical product. It was about the fact that my experience had been impacted. So what they, what they did, they said, keep all the rest of the product. You don't need to send anything back to us. So they let me keep the 75% that weren't damaged, right? They sent me a brand new box of product. On top of that, they sent me something like, I want to say like eight booster packs and a bunch of sleeves. And to me, that was a perfect example of they got it. They understood that it was about, hey, I had this event happen. This event was kind of messed up because of an issue. And they went above and beyond to fix it. The cost on their end to send that extra product is, you know, who knows, 20, 20 bucks, 30 bucks worth of product. 
But I was such an advocate from that point on for that organization because I thought, wow, those people, they understand, they get it. They cared enough that this was an important event to me to try to make it right. And so I think that that is such a powerful example. I would consider myself to be a raving fan um, of Magic the Gathering and the Wizards. And that is like a focal point of what that came from. Sure, their product is great. Sure, I love their artwork and all those other things. But how they handled adversity was such a good example of, you know, what defined them as a company. And for me, I try to do that same thing. You know, when I send a game to someone and someone, you know, doesn't get it because it got lost in the mail or whatever problem happened, right? I'll often do like, I'll send extra sleeves. I'll send something else after it. Because what I realize is, look, if I just send them a replacement for the product, the, the sad reality is that it's still a net negative experience, right? The positive experience would have been, I get my product, I get it on time. They didn't get their product, right? So even if I send them their product, now they're getting their product, but they're getting it late. And so I try to adapt the mentality as much as I can for myself. Um, but I think that that's such an important thing for us to do is to really think about it from the customer lens and how do we take those bad experiences and, and turn them into good ones. And that's actually a great way to build those raving fans. Yeah, that's a great point. And this this right here is a wonderful case study in exactly what we're talking about. Because think about with your situation with Wizards of the Coast, Magic the Gathering, okay? What just happened? All right, Wizards of the Coast, they actually, they didn't make the mistake. The manufacturer made a mistake. Now, Wizards of the Coast obviously hired that manufacturer, but Wizards of the Coast, you know, those guys, they're not sitting there in their big office. I think they're in Seattle or somewhere. Like, they don't print cards there. They print cards right. somewhere else, probably in China, right? And so they didn't <laughs> right. even actually make the mistake, right? Their company that they hired made the mistake. But yet Watsi owned it. They said, oh man, this is awful. We're, we're so sorry that this happened. We're going to you know, do everything we can to make up for it. And not only are we going to replace you know, what is, is damaged, we're going to go above and beyond. And then think about what just happened. You just said exactly what you said and talk about how great they handled the situation, how great they were as a company, how you can't wait to work with them again and buy more of their stuff and all that kind of thing. And you did it on a podcast so that thousands upon thousands of people can hear it. Right? This, this is exactly what we're talking about with raving fans. Right? Whether it's through social media or just bringing up in random conversation, but when a company goes above and beyond, right, because you make a good point. It wasn't, you know, think about the negative and the positive. Okay, you go buy a game. Okay, you've got your game. That's kind of a neutral thing. And, and so, like, right. how can you take it to a positive thing? Because where, where, I feel like neutral, people don't talk about neutral. They definitely talk about negative. <laughs> and hopefully they can <laughs> talk about the positive. And so how do you really create a customer service experience, an experience with, again, your playtest group or whoever you're dealing with, that you can uh, turn it into such a positive experience that they can't stop talking about it. And so as we get into it, I, I want to structure the conversation with some kind of big highlights. And I, I got these honestly from the Raving Fans uh, book. Again, please check that out if you want to kind of learn more. Uh, Ken Blanchard goes into a lot of really cool stuff uh, with that. And one of his main sections is you have to define a service vision. So Casey, what do you think that means? Like to you, as, as far as like as a company, uh, for your company culture, your gaming company, you as a designer, like what does it look like to define a service vision? Yeah, I mean, I think to me, you know, and I, I haven't read the book as context, so I'll just go kind of off the cuff of, of kind of what this represents. I, I think it's really about this concept of, you know, I, I kind of focus on the first word service, which is as an organization, the service that you put out, right, which is kind of part of your experience, that's baked into how you interface with customers, it's baked into what we were just talking about, which is essentially, you know, what do you do when there's adversity? It's, it's kind of almost to me, having a sense of guiding principles right? That you operate from as an organization. And it, it's about all sorts of things. It's about accountability, 
right? So like you're like we just used in our example, it's saying, hey, even though this wasn't, I guess it technically was the manufacturer's problem, blah, 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 but we're going to rise up and we're going to take accountability from it because that's the kind of organization that we are and that's the kind of principle that we want to be known for, right? And so I think that part of it is accountability. Part of it is, is thinking about how you're going to take care of your customers, how you're going to take care of your employees, right? Uh, I think that's another important thing that we got to talk about. If you want to have super fans and you want to have raving fans, you got to take care of your team. Right. And, you know, you got to make sure that your, your artists and your designers and, and, you know, all the people that are, are part of your organization are taken care of um, and are supported. And, and it's something that for me, um, you know, on again, just referencing the gaming side of the, of the work I do definitely has been something that I've learned how to work with freelancers, how to make sure I'm taking care of them, how to make sure that they're all really happy. So that shows in the work and the production that they they put out to the customers. Um, and then also just in terms of the work I do with my technology company at Bonjoro, how I interface with all the, you know, I, I deal with thousands of businesses, right? So come across thousands of businesses and, and how we handle and treat those businesses and how we take care of them and how we go above and beyond and how we help elevate their experience. To me, that's all kind of part of the service vision that you have as an organization. So um, to me, that, that's a little bit about what that means. Definitely. And this is something, you know, thinking about, so I run a ministry uh, in the States where I lead, basically lead mission trips. And during the summer, I'll have these college age students that'll come and they'll be the staff for the summer. And during training week, when they first get to Atlanta, one of the main things we talk about, right, right from the beginning, right from the first meal, we'll, we'll find a good barbecue place or good hamburger place. And that's where we'll have our first meeting. And we sit down and I say, all right, guys, this is who we are. And I define who we are as a ministry, as an organization, uh, the things that we are going to be about. Here's the vision. Here, Here's who we are. That way, if you ever get into a situation and you're not sure how to handle it, you've got a question, you've got maybe an upset uh, person that's on a trip, or you got an upset person that we're serving for whatever, I want you to think back to, okay, who are we as an organization? And through that lens, I want you to handle whatever the question is, whatever the, the situation is through that lens. I don't want you yep. to think for yourself. I want you to think through, okay, here's the organization that I represent, and this is how we do things. This is who we are. And then this is going to change the way I say things, the way I do things, the way I handle situations. And so I think doing the same thing for you, even if you're just a designer of just thinking through, okay, who am I? Who do I want to be? And then and define it out, write it out. Okay, I'm, I, I'm a person that does this. We're a company that we do this. You know, Wizard of the Coast. We take responsibility for uh, misprints. That's who we are. We don't blame the manufacturer. We take responsibility. That's who we are. And so when you have, and, and you're talking to customer service people. So if you have a situation like this, Take responsibility for it. Make it right. Make it better than right. That's who we are. You know, and same yeah. thing like with your kids. You know, the other day, my I don't remember what it was. I don't remember my daughter had lied about something. It was some like kind of small thing. You know, it wasn't some big egregious sin or anything like that. But I looked at her. Yeah. And I said, is that who we are? Like as a family? Is that is that who we are? Is that the kind of way? Is that how we operate? She said, well, no. I said, so, you know, should you do that kind of? No. Why? Because that's not who we are. Exactly. That's not who we are. And I feel like defining that to the people around you is just super helpful to help them understand like, how to handle certain situations. And so I know, you know, you work for multiple companies. Tell me how they've done that. Do you have any like specifics that people can kind of take away from? Yeah, I mean, I think I think there's a handful of things that that brands can kind of do on the front to to kind of over deliver. So I'll, I'll give you an example. One of the things that we do at Bonjoro is every single time we get a new customer and we get we get, we get probably 2000 customers that come in per 2000 trials that come in per month. We thank every, we send a video and welcome every single one of them personally, right? Because our brand is around personalization. Our brand is around building human connections. And so even though that's a huge commitment of time, I mean, sending 2000 videos, that's not like a trivial thing, right? 
Um, and again, these are personal videos. So we're taking the time to look into their website, look into their business. You know, I might hop on to one of these um, first, first messages out to them and say, hey, you know, I was looking through your website and I saw there was this spot where they could sign up for your newsletter. That might be a great opportunity for you to send, you know, a personal welcome to them and kind of make that first experience for your brand. And so I've taken the time to really kind of look at their website, get to know what they're trying to accomplish and send them this personal video. And so that to me is an example of, of kind of like part of our ethos, right? Because our ethos at Bonjoro is around building Raven fans. It is around saying, look at invest in the people that are your community through creating real connections. Because it's so easy in today's world to just kind of almost forget that there's humans behind electronic correspondence, right? We send so much email, we send so much, uh, you know, there's so much social media, there's so much noise, right? And inboxes today are, are so cluttered, right? There's, there's pitches and newsletters and promos and like, there's just so much noise. And so I think that if you are a brand who genuinely takes the time to try to get to know your customer and try to do something that's really personal in a way where it's not just sending someone an email that says, thank you so much for your purchase that people know is mass produced and is mass sent to everyone. When I reach out to someone that, you know, say purchase one of my games and I send them a, you know, Bonjoro video and I say, you know, Hey, Sarah, thank you so much. I'm really excited for this. Um, you know, and, and, you know, tell them a little bit about the game and then create some context. I think it, it helps elevate it to a different level of, of kind of personalization where um, people are like, whoa, this is pretty neat. Like I'm able to connect with, you know, a retailer or a designer in a way that normally isn't happening. So I think that's that's one example of, of that type of that type of thing. Yeah, for sure. Now, real quick, I mean, we're going to talk about it probably more than once as we go on. What is Bonjuro? Give me like the two minute elevator pitch because there's probably a lot of listeners have never heard of it. So tell, tell us what it is. Yeah, so, so just the super quick kind of thing of Bonjoro is it allows you to send a personal video email. So the concept essentially would be like, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through the use case of how I use Bonjoro at my gaming company, or one of the ways that I use it. So if someone buys one of my games on my website, I get a ping automatically on my app. We have a phone app for Bonjoro. And it will say, John bought your game, right? And then I can just click on that and then essentially record a video for John. Hey, John, just wanted to thank you so much. Super excited to have you try this out. If you have any questions um, as you're kind of going through this, please let me know. On the website, we have this video, you know, whatever kind of spiel I'm going to say. Um, and if they have any, if there's any inquiries or any like comments that come with that, I can also respond to that too, right? So if I know that someone bought this game because they wanted to try it out with their girlfriend, or I know that someone's going to bring it to a gaming club at their high school, I can also help kind of cater that message to that with that context. So the idea, again, kind of going back to some of the sentiments I was saying before, is trying to separate yourself from, you know, so much of that routine email that inundates people's inboxes with something that's a little bit more unique by just using that, you know, on your phone, quickly record, and you can do it on your desktop too, quickly record a video, send it. And and just for a little bit of clarification, in case people are kind of thinking, okay, that, that's nice and all, but why don't I just record it on my phone and send it to someone? Like, well, why do I need an app to do that? Well, if you you were to go to your phone right now and you were to record a video and you were to send it, it's going to send over to the person as an attachment, right? And that's problematic for a number of reasons. Number one, it's usually just going to go straight to a spam filter um, if it's like a random person. And number two, there's no preview. Like people don't click on random attachments from people, right? That's like a kind of a no-no if they don't know who you are. So with Bonjoro, it's like there's a preview image that comes through. You can use a GIF so you can have like a person waving or something. 
you can have a little bit of preview text so you can let them know what the context is around it. And then when they click it, it takes them to a web page, a landing page where the video actually plays. So essentially, long story short, there's an infrastructure to make it so that people actually will engage with the videos. And, and we get like 75% open rate, which, you know, if you're in the email marketing field at all, you, you probably know that's pretty dang solid. Yeah, Bonjour is such an interesting, really cool software, really cool system. And it just makes everything easier. Like you're saying, you, know, like you could probably figure out ways to do this and do it on your own. But Bonjour makes it so easy. I don't want this to be just be an infomercial for Bonjour. But, uh, you know, just kind of researching you guys, I've seen some really cool uses uh, for what, uh, for, for basically uh, businesses to reach out to their customers and, and turn a customer into a fan uh, because it's, it's just what you got to do in today's world. I mean, customer service is a way that you can really set yourself apart. And we'll actually talk about that more kind of this last structural uh, topic, but uh, for the next one. So, all right, that was defining a service vision, really putting it out there, writing it down, hanging it on a wall, doing whatever you have to do to say, all right, this is who we are. And then that leads to the next thing, learning what customers really want. And so what does it look like? Like if you're really thinking through the lens of, all right, how do I create raving fans? What does it look like to learn what customers really want as opposed to what you're just trying to sell? Yeah, so learning what customers really want, I think, is, is such a, a key thing. I mean, obviously, the, the intuitive answer initially is that you need to listen, right? You need to, you need to take feedback you know, from all the different sources that they come in, whether it's on social media, whether it's people that write things back. You need to really listen to what customers are saying to get a sense of that. And I think that's one thing that I would really so strongly encourage. It's something that we invested in so heavily when we launched Archon. Um, one of the reasons why I think we did pretty well is because as a first-time founder coming out there, we invested so much. We did so much blind playtesting. We went to so many local gaming stores. And we had you know a whole infrastructure really around gathering feedback and continuing to refine and continuing to refine until we really made sure that it was customer-centric at its core. Because I think what happens sometimes, unfortunately, and this isn't just the board game industry, but it's kind of just the you know business in general, especially for newer founders, is they they see they think they see a problem, right? Or they think they see an opportunity, whatever, and they build something, but it's kind of built in a bubble, right? They're not soliciting customer feedback. They're not really understanding the core of where how kind of customers perceive it. It's more built on them, right? And what they think makes sense. And so because of that, that obviously leads to a lot of problems because you know, you get a product out there that you think is amazing, but you haven't really validated it with the people who matter, which is the people who are going to be buying it. Um, and so I think that is a super, super important part of, you know, when you run playtests, make sure that you're asking those critical questions, that you're asking those probing, like, you know, what was your biggest sticking point? You know, what did you like? What did you not like? Like what I've always found is having specific questions as part of that process is really key to get valuable and kind of concise feedback as part of it. Um, but I think too, again, beyond just play tests with the gaming world, it's just in general, you know, you want to have some way that you're gathering all of that feedback from customers and you're essentially using that to make decisions as an organization. You're letting customers guide your, your product direction in a sense. I think that's important. Right. And as game designers, we should have a little bit easier time with this because playtesting is so important to us. That's something we're naturally doing, hopefully constantly, and, and going out there and trying to get feedback and trying to find new people to check out our, our game, our products, and give us you know their ideas and what they think we can improve. But I feel like another thing that just is super important is just market research, looking at other companies that are doing things well. So when you see someone post online about how amazing this company was or you know the amazing customer service they had, 
then do some research into their systems and go, okay, how can I apply that to my own company? And maybe it's going to be a direct you know, crossover. Maybe you can take some ideas from here and from there and you kind of create your own amalgamation, whatever, but just market research. And that also means buying games and playing them and yeah. going, okay, I see what they did with this rule book. I see what they did with these components and these pieces and the, the way they did the art and all this stuff and going, oh, okay, this is how you create a better experience. Stonemaier Games is just an incredible case study and what it yeah. looks like to create an awesome product that people want to take pictures of and put on Instagram and then for other people to see. And so just doing research as well. Yeah. And uh, that's such a good example. I'm glad you brought up Stonemaier because I, I totally agree. You know, and you look at, you know, so many things we're talking today and we talk about like raving fans besides just having great products. Look at the things that Jamie does, right? Going on Facebook lives all the time, all the transparency, always kind of being out in front of the audience, producing a ton of super valuable Kickstarter content, right? If you're a new person, you're about to launch Kickstarter. I don't care if you're a veteran person, you're going to launch a Kickstarter. You know, we all know that if you go to his blog, he's kind of one of the kingpins, if you will, of information about how to do that. So much free, incredibly valuable information for the communities. And so I think that is perfectly emblematic of, you know, he realizes that, hey, I have all these people who are part of my community who love games too. Like, let me help them. You know, he writes a book, he runs a super, you know, super actionable blog that gives you really followable steps. He's, he's on Facebook doing these lives where he opens up a lot of time just for questions about kind of communicating with people. All of those things to me really show someone who cares about the customer, who's invested in having them as part of the process. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's, you know, seen incredible success besides the fact that he has good games, which I totally think he does. But I think that, Again, it's about the experience of his brand that goes beyond just games. Um, I think he does that really well. I'm glad you brought him up. Agreed. And we can just keep talking about uh, Stonemaier Games. Their components, the way the game fits into the box, the way everything works together. And then also him being willing to take a little bit of a hit on his margin to provide an excellent experience for a gamer to have, right? So Tapestry is a good example. Tapestry should be a $100 game. Right. I think it's 80 bucks or something like that. $89. All right. And so he sells it for 89 bucks. It should cost hundred, maybe 120 based on the components that are in the box, based on the margins, based on the price and the five X and all that good stuff that we talk about with the business side of games. All right. But he didn't think that that was a good price. He said, no, I don't think, I don't think I want customers to pay this. I think this is too much. And so I'm going to drop the price down. I'm gonna take a little bit of a hit on my margin, hoping that people love that, that they love the experience, they love the game enough that I'm actually going to sell more copies long-term than I would have if the game was a higher price. That's a wonderful thing to think about. You're thinking about customers first and then you know changing your products and and, and, uh, and games based on that. And, and the other thing too about it is that's important to know too is it's also smart from a business standpoint, right? I mean, that, that's the beautiful thing about this. Oftentimes being customer-centric is also smart from a business standpoint. And so I think what Jamie understands is he understands CLV, which is customer lifetime value which is that it's not just about, you know, if you spend $50 and you, you know, say get a customer, you say you spend $50 in ad spend and you get a customer um, that spends $50, right? If you were dealing with this in a completely neutral sense, you'd be like, well, it's cut even, right? There's no, there's no benefit. Spend 50, God person spend it. But, but the reality is that you're looking for what is the total amount of, of kind of business that this customer is going to provide over the lifetime of your brand. If that person buys five more games from Jamie, right? If that person goes and tells five more people about about his products that's that's exactly what we're talking about when we talk about raving fans they're advocates and so there's you know not only is it kind of the right thing to do right to be customer centric and, and try to make sure that you give you know lower entry points you let people get in and have that experience that's awesome 
but it's also smart business. I think that's an important thing for us to remember too, is that you're not, don't just look at things as the first sale. Don't just look at things as like, you know, can I get people to buy? Because that's the very, very beginning of the relationship. And the important part is everything that comes after. Once that person puts in their money and they buy something from you, how do you treat them? What is that experience like? How, you know, all of that is going to go into whether you build them into being a fan and raving fans are the absolute best growth engine that you can have as a business hands down right? Because we live in a world where there's so much information. And I can tell you right now that if someone goes and tells their best friend, this thing is awesome, you should check it out. There is no Facebook ad that you can run that will beat that. It's just not going to happen, right? Like your, your Facebook ad is never going to beat a personal recommendation from someone who is like, you need to get this. It's incredible, right? So I think it's critical for us to remember that you know, when we invest in building raving fans, when we invest in our customers, it also comes back to to benefit us as well. So it's really, it can be a win-win across the board for all the parties involved. Definitely. And that actually leads into the, the fourth part of this, this conversation, which is kind of bounce around a little bit, which is make customer service a competitive advantage. It's when you turn, you know, customer service into the thing that sets you apart in the marketplace, which leads to more sales. And now you can't do it just for that. Like, I feel like if you're, if you're just doing customer service because you're trying to make more money, I feel like that's going to come across as disingenuous. Like you're, you're going to have cracks in the armor on that and it's going to, it's going to fall apart. And so, sure. but really thinking through, okay, how can I serve people so well? This is, this actually increases my business. Even if I lose, like going back to your Wizards of the Coast situation. Okay. They might've lost money. I don't know what the, the margins are or whatever. They might've lost money. Maybe not, but they might've lost money sending you those replacements and those extra things and all that stuff. But they're, they're playing the long game. They're thinking, okay, yeah, but the next time he has an opportunity to do this kind of a event, a kind of party, he's going to do it because of the way we treated him. He's not going to go, yeah, I tried that and it didn't work out last time. I don't want to do that again. No, he's going to say, I want to do like 10 more of these because this was amazing. And the way they handled the situation was awesome. And so they're thinking yeah. long-term, they're playing the long game. You know, it's, it's a lot easier to sell to uh, customers you've already sold to than to create new customers. That's what you're saying. Like Facebook ads, like it's so much easier if you've already uh, established that relationship. A hundred percent. That's spot on. And you know, I'll give you a couple examples of people that I think do a killer job. So, so one of them um, is the shoe company Zappos, right? And they're a billion dollar company now. And they do some really unique things when it comes to customer service that a lot of other companies just weren't doing. So first off the bat was free returns, no matter what, up to a year right? No one in the industry was doing what was basically doing that. And so that was like, people are like, oh, people are going to abuse it. They're going to do this and that. They said, we don't care. We're doing it right. They also said, if we don't have your size, we're going to have a policy as a company that we're going to call our competitors until we find someone who has your shoe. Now think about that. They're going to call the competitors and try to get that customer to buy someone else's product because they didn't have it in stock. Now, like when we talk about exceptional customer experience, when we talk about doing what's actually best for your customer, not just, you know, like you're saying, like the cracks in the armor, if it's disingenuous, like having a policy like that is one of those things that perfectly represents, you're just trying to do what's best for them, right? They want to buy a shoe and you're trying to help them, right? But having a structure and a culture that's built around that with the free returns, with the trying to find the person, the solution, I love that. And so I think that's another thing too, when we talk about, you know, customer service, obviously there's the things that come to mind, which is respond as fast as you can, you know, give them a full resolution of whatever their problem is. Um, but I think that there's also this idea of, you know, 
how, how can we not only go above and beyond with our product, but how can we go above and beyond with our customer support, thinking about things that these really successful companies who have really great customer support, thinking about what they do. And you know, we talk about Wizards of the Coast and Magic Gathering, kind of what they did. This is another example of, of kind of Zappos and how they handled it. I think us just brainstorming what that above and beyond experience looks like um, is, is so valuable. And also not being scared to, you know, one thing I've learned from my time in, in kind of the board game world is how important kind of collaborations and working with other founders and not viewing it as a competition, but viewing it as we're all part of this community together. Oh, you like my game? I bet you would love X, Y, and Z other companies. They do something really similar, right? Like trying to help drive traffic and support each other and realize that, you know, when you do something like that, not only do you help the customer because you're helping show them, oh, you like A, you'll probably like B and C and you're providing them, you know, valuable feedback around their interests. And, but you're also supporting the other, other people out in the community. And when they see goodwill, they'll often return that. And so again, I'm, I'm just such a strong advocate that if you really invest in solving those customers' problems and putting them first and being advocates around them, um, that, that goodwill that, you know, I don't know if I, I don't want to say the word karma, but, but just that goodwill, I think does come back and, and, and also hits you because people realize that's the kind of company that you are authentically. And then they want to support you more because of that. Absolutely. And I want to highlight a couple more companies that, that I've had uh, some experience with and, and just want to say, Hey, this is a really cool case study on how to do things well. So REI, which is not available everywhere. I don't know how many locations that they have. They have a few around the Atlanta area and they sell outdoor stuff, right? Clothes mm -hmm. and, and camping gear and, and uh, bikes and like just amazing quality, really good stuff. And I bought a pair of hiking boots that uh, to bring down to Honduras with me. I was working on a farm. I was working at an orphanage and I had a farm side. And so I spent a lot of time, you know, with these orphan kids who were out there on the farm, you know, planting crops and doing all sorts of cool stuff. And so I bought this, this really expensive, nice pair of hi uh, basically hiking boots to be out there on the farm. And um, so I, I brought them down to Honduras and they, they were comfortable in the store. But when I actually got out on the farm walking around, they hurt my feet. And I wore them maybe 10, 12 times, something like that. And thinking, okay, maybe I got to break them in. Maybe we get better. And it never got better. They just always hurt my feet. I'd come home after, you know, working eight, 10 hour days and like, gosh, I just can't wear these shoes anymore. All right. Three months later, I came back to Atlanta, back to the States. And I came for a couple of weeks and some things I was working on, went back to REI and I said, Hey, uh, these boots, you know, I love them. They were great, but they, they killed my feet. And so is there anything I can do? Can I like it? They, Cause I haven't bring anything back, exchange it, just bring it back. No, we don't care the yep. conditions. So I brought it back in. They were dirty. They had mud, had Honduran mud on them. Right. And they said, yeah, sure. And they gave me a credit of the exact amount of money that I spent for uh, on them. And I was able to take that money and go buy a different brand, different pair of hiking boots that actually became the boots that I will buy the rest of my life. Like anytime this pair breaks down, I immediately go back to REI and I buy another pair of the exact same brand, whatever the newest model is. And these aren't cheap. And so in doing that, REI basically made me a customer for life that anytime I need a new pair of hiking boots, I'm going straight to that same store. I'm going to buy, you know, this new, because they treated me so well and they didn't have to do that. No one else does that. Like in my Zappos, nobody does that. And that's why so many people go to them because they've been able to set themselves apart. And then another company is the Lego brick company in Noonan, Georgia, which if you hadn't heard about this thing, y'all look it up online. It's like the biggest Lego store in the world. It puts the like actual trademarked Lego stores like that you find in all these different places. It puts them to shame with how amazing it is. It's massive. And what you can do, they've got this program where you can buy a Lego set. You can take it home. You can build it. You can bring it back and they will pay you money or store credit for that set that you just built. And then you can use that money in the store to get a new set. And so if you're a kid, and you've only got 50 bucks 
you could literally build almost every set in the store, just rotating it and, and bring it back. And then they'll give you a new one. And it's this really cool uh, way of, of doing things. And you can tell they have customers in mind more than just trying to make as much money as possible. But the crazy thing is they make a ton of money because they have exactly. customers in mind. Right. So. And that's, and that's, and that's, I think, yeah, I think I love those examples, by the way. And and it's so cool that you brought up REI. I was, I was thinking about whether I should talk about Zappos or REI because I, I totally, everything you just said is totally resonant with my experience. And, uh, you know, what's kind of wild about REI is they're not the cheapest stuff out there, right? By any means, their stuff's actually fairly expensive, but because they have such an experience where the returns, and I've experienced that too, when, when I had an issue with a sleeping pad, when I went out, same exact thing. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. They handled it, no stress, no hassles. And also the employees inside the store were always so helpful. They seemed like they actually hired people that actually cared. You know, I asked them, you know, hey, do I need these hiking sticks if I'm going on this time? And they just went through and they were telling me all the different, I mean, they just seemed like they were really knowledgeable and really engaged. And that's another thing too, that I think is so important when you talk about customer service is, you know, how do you build? So if people are listening to this and they're saying, okay, this is awesome. Like, how do I build this into my own organization? Right. Here's some personal tips I would do at the first as kind of a way to go about this. Number one, you need to have people that are actually passionate. Right. If you if you hire someone for your tabletop gaming company who doesn't really care about tabletop gaming and they're your customer support, like everything else doesn't even really matter because they're not passionate about it. Right. You want people that know the space, that care, that are that are involved. And then the second thing is you need to take care of them. Right. If you don't, if you underpay your employees, if you're not taking care of them, if they're not happy then they're not going to provide an exceptional experience to those people. But on the flip side, if you take people and you do provide, you know, like, like REI, I'm sure they have quality benefits, they have quality, whatever, and they find people that are genuinely passionate about being outdoors and nature and all that kind of stuff, then they're able to really be these experts. And that provides this phenomenal experience, right? So I think, I think that's another thing too, that we can all kind of pull from this when we're thinking about what ways can we do this um, from a team standpoint, right? Invest in having people that are passionate, invest in having people that, you know, invest in them so that you're taking care of them. Um, I think that's also part of the part of the process. Right. And to bring this back into kind of the gaming space, the game design area of the topic, you know, I'm thinking through, all right, what are some ways that we can really uh, approach this from a game design, game publishing stance? And I think one of them is, okay, if you go to a convention and you're at a booth, right, and someone is showing you how to play a game, it is very obvious the difference between the person who loves this company, loves the game, excited about whatever game this is, and they're teaching you it, versus the person that really just wanted a free badge to get into the convention and this, working at this booth was a way to do it. Like, it's so obvious, the difference yep. in those people. And so what does it look like if you're a company to um, basically interview people and say, hey, why, why do you want this? And if they're not, like, excited about something, you know, a game is coming out or, you know, they love your games, they bought all your games, whatever then maybe that's not the best person to have at your booth and just thinking through that, right? Uh, if you've got people uh, helping you with playtesting, right? They're, maybe they're doing running playtest sessions somewhere else or you've kind of got this like little ambassador program like some companies do, right? You, you need to interview those people and make sure that everybody's on the same page with how we treat playtesters. Here's our guidelines. Here's if, if this situation comes up, maybe some kind of sexism, racism, isms of all, whatever. If this happens at the table, this is how you handle it. Like, and, and setting up guidelines for people of, of, again, who we are. And then thinking about that for, for yourself and how are you going to handle, you know, these customer service opportunities, which is all opportunities. Like we're in a customer service industry. If you're in business, you're in customer service. That is what it is, no matter what business you're in. And so like, what does it look like to handle these situations that come up in normal game design, game development, game playtesting, game publishing? 
Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's, that's such a good topic. And, you know, one of the thoughts that came to mind for me kind of on the playtesting and a little bit of a, of a tie-in with, um, with kind of Bonjoro as a tool too is this idea. So when we were, when we were launching Archon, we did a lot of playtests, right? And we'd gather people, we get a bunch of people that would kind of show up. And, um, you know, at first, especially, they're pretty small gatherings, pretty small crowds. And one of the things that we did, which I feel like got really good response and, and helped us, I think, get kind of connected in with our base too is once those people left we had conversations and we got to know them we asked for people's emails so we could update them when we were going live on kickstarter but in the interim before what we, we would do things like i would send a personal video out to a play tester and would say hey john um just wanted to thank you so much two weeks ago when we played together um i was kind of going through your your feedback and i saw right here where you were noting xyz I just wanted to let you know that we actually adopted this into the game because of you, right? So I'm just so grateful that you pointed that out. Um, you know, it was such a helpful hint. And because of that, we incorporated in this or this piece. And people were like, whoa, like, you know, sometimes people can wonder, like, do people actually care about what I'm writing? Like, is it actually important? This person took the time to really acknowledge that. So I feel like that was a way that, you know, we could show gratitude for their contributions to us, um, as well as just updating people about anything we had a conversation about. If someone said, you know, hey, you know, I really love, you know, roll and write games or whatever, you know, category. I really love X type of games. If we then reached out to them and said, hey, just wanted to thank you so much again about X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, we're still honestly about two months out from launching, but there's this Kickstarter that just went up that seems like it's perfectly in line with what you what you like or what you were looking for. Just wanted to make sure you'd seen the trailer video. It looks epic. You know, just little things like that where it's it's you trying to look after them and kind of bring them in as part of the community and not just for a direct sale, right? Not just for a direct, okay, we're live now, like come buy from us, but to let them know, hey, your feedback does matter. Hey, we were listening to you when you were telling us about what kind of games you liked or about XYZ thing that was going on in your life. So we're gonna also reach out and try to celebrate that with you and, and to make it you know, clear that this wasn't just lip service, right? We actually were listening to, we actually do care about you. Like to me, I'm just so, I can't even express how incredibly grateful I am that people come in and spend their time, right? When there's so many established games that they could play, but these, you know, eight, 16, however many people showed up, decided that they were going to sit down with me, a first time game founder and have patience to go through and the learning curve and all that stuff. Like I just, I am so grateful for that. And anything that I can give back to those people from that, I, I, I want to do, right? Because to me, that's, that's what builds the business. Like my whole business is the customers and those people that roll the dice on you and take that risk on you. Um, that's so important. So I, mean, I know that was kind of a little bit long and rambly, but you know, just giving back to people and trying to, to make sure that you really value their contributions and what they say, I think is, I think it's huge. Yeah. And people can really genuinely tell when you care about them, they know, they, they feel it. It's something about the way we work as humans. We can tell when someone actually cares versus their, their like you said, just lip service or whatever. I remember a couple of years ago, my game design advice book had just come out and I was going to Dice Tower Con. And so I ordered a bunch of copies just through Amazon, just kind of the author discount, whatever. And I had like five or seven copies I put in my bag and I took to the con with me with the intent of just giving them away. And so I'll carry them in my backpack. And so I go in the, you know, the gaming hall and I'd meet all these new people and cool folks. And, you know, they weren't necessarily designers, just gamers, whatever. And anytime someone, you know, started asking me about what I did and, and I'm talking about board game design lab and all these things, if they ever said something to the effect of, oh, I've always thought about designing a game or I've always kind of wondered, I've always had this idea about a game that, would, that could be cool. I would immediately pull the book out of my bag and go, here, 
I want you to have this because I think this will help you maybe be able to figure out some of those ideas. Actually be able to get that idea out of your head and onto a table and turn it into a prototype. And they say, like, like for free? Yeah, yeah, just take the book. Are you sure? Absolutely. I want you to have it. I think it'll really help you out. I didn't have I any it. intent of getting anything in return. I was just trying to go out there and help people become game designers, right? Because I feel like game games in general become better when more people become designers, right? Just it yep. rises to the top. And, but it has been so cool that this interesting unintended consequence, I've had several people that I gave books to that later, months later, a year later, year and a half later, would send me a message and say, hey, I saw your game on Kickstarter. Hey, I saw your new book up on Kickstarter. Hey, I saw this new thing that you're doing and I can't wait to back it. And I really appreciate that book you gave me a year ago, year and a half ago, whatever it was. I really appreciate that. And I can't wait to support your next thing. That was not my intention. I was not trying to like, you know, <laughs> I'll give you this free thing and you can buy my stuff. I had nothing to do with it. I was just trying to help people. But then it came back as they became customers. And so it's just something just kind of keep in mind. A lot of times I feel like we we, we play too close to the best. Like, ah, I don't know if I should give away or if I should you know, offer too much of a discount and all these things. And we, we, we play it too safe. And I'm not saying just go away yeah. and go out there and give away your company, but really think through, okay, do I do this to make money or do I make money so I can do this? And I think that's a huge difference because board game design lab, I mean, it needs to make money. It needs to pay some bills, especially because I'm going full time and it needs to be my, you know, my income. But at the end of the day, I make money so I can keep doing this. So I can keep going out there and, and helping more people become game designers or become better game designers. And I, I think love just that. kind of thinking through that for your own company, no matter who you are, what you're doing is a super valuable, super important thing. It, yeah, I, I love that so much, man. And I, I think that that's spot on. And I love that people, you can tell the people that are genuinely um, and authentically in the space for the right reasons because of things exactly like you just said. Because if you give someone one of your books and that person goes and designs a game, like, you know, like there's this personal gratitude. Yeah, I didn't financially benefit in any way, right? But I helped make an impact on something I care about, right? Like you care about board game design as a space and you know that you're contributing to bettering that. And so, you know, I, I think that is such a spot on thing. And, and, you know, for me too, with Bonjoro as an organization, I always tell people, look at, you know, personal video is one cool way that we're doing that, but it's actually not even about personal video. It's what it's really about is taking time out of your day as a, as a business owner to invest in the customer. And all the time we'll talk about, you know, there's so many ways to do this right? Personal video is one, but you could write them a personal card, right? You could, you know, you could do something like what you just did. You could give them a gift. I've actually done things like that before, give, given people like a copy of a super fans book, right? And so like, there's so many, cause, cause that's what we're representing. We're trying to help people build raving fans. And so if we give someone a book that can help them, if we send them someone a resource that can help them, if we buy someone who's our customer, a course that, you know, whatever it is, Again, it goes back to that thing you were talking about in the like, very beginning about kind of your service principles. What are you about, right? Like you as, an org you as an organization, you're about this board game design world, right? And helping expand that and helping, you know, and for me at Bonjoro, it's about helping companies build advocates and fans. And so I think that if you keep that lens as what's important, you're investing in trying to help people get towards that. And there is something I think deeply rewarding irrespective of any business impact about, you know, giving someone a resource and someone coming back to you and saying, this helped transform my business. You know, like a, just a quick example that I want to share because it made a big impact on me. I was working with a charity organization, Cure, Cure International, pretty big organization. And about two weeks ago, they reached out to me and said, Casey, we just, you know, they were fundraising. They basically raise money for kids who need these life-saving surgeries in a lot of third world countries. And they said, Casey, we use these 
personal videos. We had the actual doctors on site in these places record these personal videos, send them to donors, and we raised ten thousand dollars more with personal video versus our standard fundraising, which was you know phone banking and emailing, whatever. And like to me, that was just like such an exciting thing because it was like, look at that is something that actually means that ten thousand dollars means these surgeries. It means like to me, it was connected to the fact that like how cool is this that these lives are now changed, and like that was really meaningful to me because. I'm like, hey, I want to try to amplify social good. I want to help people use, you know, quote unquote, raving fans as a way to have more good, have more of this, you know, um, I don't know what the right word is, positivity or whatever else out in the world. So, um, yeah, super cool to hear your story about the books, man. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, going back to the doctors, I mean, when you when you build that personal connection, you make that connection with a customer in an, in an individual way, it builds trust. And the more someone trusts you, the more likely they are in this case to donate to your cause. Or if you're a game designer, the more likely, you know, people are to play test your game because they really enjoyed the last play test and it didn't, it didn't run on for three hours. Like you got 30 minutes <laughs> in, you're like, you know what? This is probably enough information. I think the game's going to last too long. Let's just shut it down. Let's go get some pizza. Hey, you provided pizza, you provided whatever. And you made it a really good experience. It's just so many, there's so many cool ways that you can draw people in, build trust because trust is what business is built on. If someone doesn't trust your company, they're not going to pull out their credit card and give you money. I mean, it's just not, it's not how it works. Uh, Also, you mentioned Superfans by Pat Flynn, which is another really, really great book on these kinds of things. And then before the show, we we were talking about Fanocracy by David Scott, which I haven't read, but you were talking about how uh, it's another really good uh, book as well. Anything from those two books that you've really gotten some cool information out of for your company or anything like that? Yeah, so I mean, fan fanocracy. I'll start with that one. Has a couple, um, you know, really interesting kind of notes in it. So one of them, and I won't go fully down the rabbit hole, but they they talk about the psychology of something called mirror neurons. And basically, what they say is that you know, there's this idea that when you visually see certain things, like you know, they use an example. They say you're at a concert, right? You're at a concert, and you know, one of the members of the band say he comes out into the audience. He doesn't even come out to you. He comes out to say you know, someone, four people next to you and he, you know, starts talking with them or doing something, but you feel this tangible excitement. It's almost as if when you look and you see that fan who's getting this like super cool personalized experience, you, because you're in that proximity, you're like, wow, this is so cool. And, and I think the general idea kind of expanding on that is if someone is talking with you, right. And you have tone and you have facial expression, you have body language. If that person is excited, and that person, like you feel that genuine vibe from them, it also changes your perception. And this goes, you know, back into, uh, you know, if you're at a convention or whatever else, and this idea where that experience that you have, if someone just kind of like, if it seems almost like a process, they sit you down and okay, here's the rules and do, you know, do this, that's just, it's totally different from that person who just genuinely seems so excited that you're there and it's positive and it's asking you questions and seems like they actually care about you as a person. It's not like, how can I direct this person towards to a sale? It's like, they're just so excited that you, you decided that you were going to stop by their booth and take the time to learn more about them. Like there's this actual, you know, visceral human kind of um, connection that is made just from looking and seeing that person's excitement. So the, so the first one is the importance of being kind of present visually as much as you can with people, because I do think there's some unique things that you know, in an email, you'll never, in a text, standard text email, you just can never deliver that, right? But if you're in person on a convention or, if you, you know, send someone a personal videos, things like that, you're able to build almost that different level of connection. So 
I thought that was a, a really interesting um, a kind of point. And, and the other thing too that I wanted to mention from, from um, the books is this idea of, they talk about how do mundane companies build these fans? Because sometimes people are like, yeah, it sounds cool if you're, you know, if you're in something exciting, like it, it almost kind of makes sense like a board game. You're like, yeah, board games, video games, these are kind of exciting. But what if you're an insurance company, right? Like it, how does an insurance company build fans? And they talk about that exact thing. They talk about a basically a insurance company that's kind of focused around, um, you know, classic or older cars, right? It's what they normally insure. And they talk about how insurance is pretty much as unexciting as you can get, but this company invests so much money in, you know, creating these little guidebooks for their people with these classic cars. And they have a whole app that they've built that like helps people at auctions. And like, they genuinely care about the person, the classic car space, and they invest so much of their money in just things that aren't even directly related to their insurance at all. And they offer it for free, but are part of sharing that passion with the other people. And so I think that's the other thing that I, that I pulled from, from that book is how important it is just to be connected to the overall cause in the overall world. And so like in Bonjoro's case, what that means is if we're focused around helping people build fans, it's not just about us posting lots of stuff about personal video on our social media. It's like, what would help our customers? It means posting things about, you know, books like we're talking about that might help them posting things about courses, posting things about hiring practices, posting things about, you know, whatever is going to be valuable, resharing from other outlets, right? But with that customer in mind at, at, as kind of like a focal point of what you're trying to do. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree. All right, switching gears a little bit. The, uh, the last section that I want to dive into that came out of raving fans is instituting effective systems. So what does it look like to create some systems and then put them in place in your company? That way it's not, you know, all guesswork, especially other people working for you and you want them to, you know, do these certain things. So tell me what your experience has been. What, is, what does it look like to create systems that then lead to a great customer service experience? Yeah, great question. I think systems is so important, especially as you grow and as you scale. So I have a couple of kind of thoughts on this one. So one of the first is think about a restaurant that you love, right? A perfect example of effective systems is when you go to a restaurant and you order, say, a meal you love, what you expect is if you come back, you know, a week later, that you're going to have that same experience, right? That there's, there's a level of consistency that you anticipate and they have to implement, okay, how they cook, how they present, how they, all those different things become part of the system. So I always like to, you know, I think that a good example as a starting point is restaurants who implement a very specific system so that they can have consistency in that positive experience. Um, another thing that I think with, with systems is also, and it kind of goes in, this one kind of bleeds into a lot of ones we've been talking about, about customer service and the other ones, but it's another really good example. Um, Virgin Airlines. Virgin Airlines basically put into place a system where they were basically saying, look it, if there's a case where uh, someone needs to go kind of above and beyond. We want to support our employees doing that. And so the, the specific thing that this birthed out of us, there was this VIP that came in and, you know, basically because of problems on Virgin Airlines side, they hadn't been able to get this person properly onto this flight. Um, they hadn't been able to get them onto like the transfer or something. Right. And the company policy basically was that there's nothing else we can do. Right. They need to get booked on the next flight one of the employees took out their credit card and on their own personal credit card paid to get this VIP transferred and get that VIP on the flight and taken care of. Now that employee immediately by their direct manager was initially criticized 
basically they were said, you, you went against policy, you went whatever, whatever, whatever. Richard Branson, who's the head of the company, heard about this. He stepped in and said, no, 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 no. Manager had it totally wrong. This employee understood our ethos and basically did the right thing, which was they took immediate action knowing that, yeah, we'll remunerate them. We'll take care of them later, right? And so he basically put into place a system as an organization that said, if, if a situation like this arises, right? Take care of the employee, take care of the, sorry, customer, take care of the customer, and then we'll take care of you, right? If you pull out your credit card and you pay for that VIP to get a transfer, that's part of making an exceptional experience. And we'll make sure that you're remunerated from that and taken care of. Like, that's what we want you to do. We don't want you to be, we don't want to have a system that's so rigid that, you know, that people are stuck. And so that's another example, I think, of an effective system that has essentially been, been kind of put into place. Um, and I think another example that we try to do as an organization here at Bonjoro in terms of systems is this idea of every time we get a new person that comes on board, personally welcoming them, and then and then also celebrating milestones with them and having that be the reason I say it's part of a system, even though it's something that's deeply personal. And I think those can sometimes seem weird, like, wait, isn't kind of like system kind of feels like automation, standardized, isn't that like the opposite of personal? But in my eyes, no, they can actually go together perfectly because we have a system that says, hey, look it, we're going to make sure that we take care of all of our customers at a high level, right? And that becomes uh, something that we have to systematize and set up to happen in a streamlined way that's organized so that people don't slip through the cracks. And so to me, at the end of the day, it's about you want to provide an exceptional experience at an organization, but you don't want to provide an inconsistent exceptional experience. You want to provide a consistent exceptional experience. And if you want it to be consistently exceptional, you need to put into place systems that allow you to be organized to provide that every single time you're interfacing with a customer. Absolutely. And you can create a system that still allows for flexibility. You know, you can have systems in place that, that you tell your customer service people or you tell the people working at your booth or your people having to run a play test, whatever. You say, if this, then that. If this situation pops up, this is how we handle it. If that situation pops up, this is how we handle it. But you're, you're never going to be able to uh, draw up a map for every single situation. And so then you let people know. But at the end of the day, if something comes up, again, this is who we are. And so you have the freedom and the flexibility to handle it the, to the best of your ability through the lens of who we are. You know, there have been so many times where I've had you know people work for me and, and doing the mission thing, going out and serving and whatever, and a situation popped up that I didn't cover in training week. Right. There's all sorts of things that don't come up during onboarding, during training week. And so they would just think through, OK, what what kind of decision would I make based on this, based on that lens? And then most of the time they do a great job. Every now and then they make a mistake and they'll come back and go, hey, you know, I did this. I thought this was right, but didn't quite work out. And I look at them, and I go, totally fine. We will clean it up. You were doing the best you could at the time. You had the flexibility. You have the freedom to make those choices, make those decisions, make those statements. And OK, you didn't handle it super well this time. We're talking about it right now, so you're learning through it. And the next time something like this happens, you're going to make the great decision. You're going to, you're going to do it really, really well. And so also offering up a place for people to make mistakes and, and it not be the, the end of their job, you know, as long as they don't do something too crazy. But, but just giving them that freedom to say, hey, you know, this is who we are. This is the kind of culture and direction we're going. And then do the best you can with these things that are going to undoubtedly come up because that's life. And then learn from it keep going. And that's, that also creates a raving fan out of your employee or out of your staff member, or out of your booth member. They want to keep coming back. So I, I love that, man. That, that's what I was mentioning earlier about employees. I'm so glad that you're kind of hitting that home because I just, I believe that's such an important part. Like that's one of the things I hope people kind of get from this too, is the importance of 
taking that mentality. You actually brought up a perfect example. It's like, what happens when people make mistakes, right? How do you handle it as a leader? How do you handle that as an employer, a boss, a manager, whatever? Like, those are super important. And I, I will admit that when I, when I started my gaming company, I went through some growing pains with that because I would, you know, put a, put a say, I, I told an artist, you need to do this. And something wasn't executed the way I wanted. And at first, being a novice, not understanding, I, I was all upset. Hey, you didn't do this right. You know, it was very much, it was their fault. And then I had to take a step back and realize, no, 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 no. Not only was it my fault for not giving clear enough instruction, but if you want to have artists who are excited to come in and produce these amazing, beautiful things for you, you have to take care of them. Because, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you guys this, like artists in the gaming world, they have options, right? Like there's a lot of games. Like if you don't treat your artists well, you don't pay them well. If you're not taking care of them, they're not going to work for you. So I think that's the thing too, is how critical it is to make raving fans out of your employees by realizing that people aren't perfect. And step one, taking accountability and basically saying, look at a lot of times if an employee screws up, it's your fault as a leader right? You didn't provide enough instruction. You didn't provide enough leadership. And so having a mentality of accountability where you lead by saying, okay, that was my bad. I'm going to focus on training better. And number two, that you realize people are human. And sometimes even if everything was laid out perfectly, they just make mistakes. And if you're empathetic and you say, Hey, look at the fact that you own up to the mistake and that you want to do better and that you're coming to, you know, have this discussion with me, like that's a way we can make progress with it. So I think that's super important. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. For sure. And then going back to the you know artist thing. So one system I have in my company is as soon as an artist sends me an invoice, I immediately pay it, period, immediately. Yep. Like the, <laughs> I pay it, I, I, through PayPal, whatever the invoice is through, as soon as I get the email, I don't think, oh, I'll pay it later. Because a lot of times, if you think that, you're going to forget. <laughs> okay. And so <laughs> you got things going on, right? And so just go ahead and pay it. It takes two minutes to click the link, to type in your PayPal password or whatever, and then click pay now, whatever it is. It takes two minutes. Right. But what the artist feels is like, wow, he really cares about me. He really th is thinking about me more than just what I can do for him. Because every time I send him an invoice, two minutes later, I'm paid. And I want I want artists to feel that way. I want them to know that this is a, a good company that they can work for, work for long term. You know, I only hire artists that I want to work with for a long time. I don't I don't hire artists that's like, oh yeah, you can do this one project and that's it. No, no. I'm thinking, okay, I've got these yeah. projects coming down the road. you you do great work. I want to make make sure I maintain this relationship so that you become a raving fan of this company. You know, even though you're working here and, and just continue to work with, with people, you know, for a long period of time. And so it's just, it's in every inch and ounce of business and, and working with customers, working with people that are freelancers, working with people that are just passing by, like every single area of life, I feel like would, would benefit from having the, this mentality. Okay. How can I create raving fans of me personally, right? Of, of every time I deal with somebody, they know I'm going to tell them the truth. I'm going to care about them. I'm going to be kind to them. I'm going to be generous. All these things about you as a person. So they become raving fans of you. Again, not disingenuously, but just because this is the kind of person you're trying to be. You're, you're trying to create a better world because of it, right? And so I think yep. so it's something that really affects everything. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I think you I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that that's kind of encapsulates everything that we're talking about today. I mean, I, I think it's, it's something that you choose through your actions, how you want to build your organization, a certain mentality, a certain way of approaching problems, a certain way of, you know, how you look after people. And, and, and I'm honestly such a strong believer that if you do that, that will come back to benefit all those, all those extra things that seem like costs, right? Which are ways that you're taking care of your customers or ways that you're taking care of your employees. Those come back to benefit, right? When you, when you add those extra benefits to your employees, yeah, sure. That might seem like a cost at first, but what happens when they 
are so much more excited and energized to come into work because they feel like you really care and they they believe that much more in your mission because you're backing up what you're saying with actions that suddenly they start going above and beyond for your customers. And when they go above and beyond for your customers, then suddenly your customers start to become advocates. And it's all this snowball effect, right? That comes into place that starts from a basis of doing the right thing and taking care of people around you, you know? So I, I think that's, that's the way to go about it. Yeah, for sure. I, I saw a little like mini documentary about this restaurant out. I think it's in Seattle. It's a five-star restaurant you know, place that you can't get, you can't get booked there. It's like six month wait period kind of thing. And people come yeah. there for, you know, birthdays and graduations and, and you know, to, to propose and they go there for like celebrations of life. If somebody has cancer and they're, you know, they're probably getting towards the end of their life, they'll come and do these big celebration of life events. And so the documentary, the, the host was like asking these two owners of the restaurant and they said, how, how do you create such an incredible experience where people want to come and they want to have your restaurant as the place that they proposed to their future spouse, right? They want to have your restaurant as the place they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Like what, how have you done this? And all they wanted to talk about was customer service, but because of the amazing people that they had working for them. And they said, we want to make sure everyone that works for us knows that we are not using you, that we are not using you to get more money. We're not using you to get to some other thing. You are the reason that we are great, right? That this place isn't, uh, that you're, it's not your job as a waiter or a busboy or a chef or whatever. It's not your job to make this place great. It's this restaurant's job to make you great. So how can we help you get to where you want to go? Okay, you want to go to night school and you want to get this degree so that then you can you know stop being a waiter. And two years from now, you want to go and become this engineer. Okay, how can we help you pay for that? How can we help make sure you have childcare available so that you're able to go to these night classes and you know that you're you know you're a single mom and your son's at home and you want to make sure he's safe and so you're not sure okay how can we help you do that and so they were talking about how the people that work there love the place and so when when people don't feel like they're used they, they're not going out there they're not going to go out there and use other people but if you have a waiter you know and they're working at some restaurant and they feel like gosh I'm being used I'm not getting paid a fair wage whatever it is then th what do you think they're going to do they're going to go out there and they're going to try to use the customers they're going to try to use the people eating at the restaurant they're going to try to get a little extra money out of them through you know whatever way it's like that's that's the secret it's not a secret it's just treat people the way you want to be treated treat them so that they are again become raving fans and then everything else improves because of it and so I think it's just gosh it's so valuable to think about yeah, no, totally. And it's funny. So I, you know, throughout, throughout the last kind of decade, throughout these various jobs, I've been a small business consultant too. And I've just chatted with a lot of people about their marketing, right? And obviously there's so many channels, people, people who are launching a business are like, okay, you know, I gotta, you know, do I, do I blog? Do I have a podcast? Do I do YouTube? Do I run social media? Do I, there's so many different avenues, right? And one of the things I always tell people is the stuff that we're talking about right now, that's the core. It's more important than any of those other pieces. I said, look at like, I, I'm happy to help you. You know, I know a lot about Facebook ads. I, I've written, you know, I, I did a, I actually met up with, uh, did a collaboration with Jamie Staymeyer and I, I published a thing on Facebook ads on this blog. Like I know a lot about Facebook ads, but all of these pieces, all of these channels of communication, all these different things, the most important thing at a core level is the things, in my opinion, are the things that we're talking about today, which is taking care of your employees, which is taking care of your customers, which is going above and beyond as part of your experience, just making it unique. Like all of those are the center stone. So before you even worry about the icing, you know, I think you need to have that mentality going into it. You need to focus on that first and foremost, because that's the foundation of your business. And if you, if you have all the best marketing in the world, right? But you don't focus on what we talked about today, you're not going to sustain. 
you're going to fall apart. You're going to, you're not going to be differentiated. You're going to have high turnover with your employees who, as soon as they get a higher cash offer, they're going to go somewhere else. Your customers buy your product and you know, it's, eh, it's ho-hum and they go elsewhere. They don't tell out with you about it. You have no, you know, kind of virality or, or spread naturally within the thing. You're never going to be able to outbeat that with dollars, right? It's going to run out of steam, and especially too now that we live in this review world too. Right. So you're going to have reviews on Board Game Geek. You're going to have reviews on all these other channels. And so if you don't treat people right, right, if you're rude to customers, if you don't give refunds, if you, you know, over promise and under deliver, if you miss your timelines by huge amounts and you don't communicate and you aren't transparent, well, guess what's going to happen? People aren't going to buy from you anymore. Right. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many dollars you spend. People aren't going to buy from you because you have lost that trust that you mentioned is so critical and you're spot on. You've lost that trust by, by not delivering, by not taking care of your company, by not taking care of your customers. And so I think that's another piece of wisdom that I'd love to share with people because I actually get a lot of questions from people in the board game world um, who ask me about you know different marketing things because they know that I'm, I'm from that space and I know a lot about Facebook and things. And I always tell them that same advice as a cornerstone. I say, look at like, I'll, I'm totally happy to help, <laughs> but I just want to emphasize that like, these are the important bits. Um, and, and another just quick note on this, because it just came to mind from this is also, I always advocate people to focus on channels that they actually care about, right? So like, if you hate writing, don't, don't focus on a blog, right? Maybe, maybe do YouTube if you like that better, or you love talking with people, cool, run a podcast, right? Like find what you genuinely enjoy and put more effort and energy into that. Because if you try to do it the opposite way, if you're like, oh man, I, I hate writing, but someone told me that if I'm going to have a successful business, I need to have a blog. Well, do you think that blog that you don't really care about is going to outperform all these incredible blogs out there from people that really do care about? Like you need to, you absolutely, if you have the passion and you carve out your niche, you can build an audience if you care about it, if you're actually you know, driving genuine value. But if you're just trying to kind of do the motions and you're like, oh, I'm supposed to do a blog. I guess I'll talk about this and I'll regurgitate information from this or this source. It's not going to work because there's a lot of really high quality stuff out there. And if you want to stand out, you've got to have that passion around it. You've got to actually care. So that's another thing. If I can, you know, give out some advice in that field is, is find the channels that you actually enjoy doing. Those are the ones you'll do consistently. And those are the ones you'll do well. And then customers will be receptive because of that. Yeah, I completely agree. And something I've been really trying to think through and, and make sure I'm just being intentional about is this idea that if you're not careful, your marketing will take you where your integrity can't keep you. Right? You can have great marketing and it can take you lots of wonderful places. But if you don't have the integrity and just the, the character as a company, as a, as a CEO, as a uh, game publisher, whatever it is, a creator on Kickstarter, if you don't have the integrity to back that up, then you're not going to last long term. You know, marketing will take you amazing places and people go, wow, that looks great. And it's shiny and it's new and it looks fun. But if you don't have the company culture, the company integrity to back that up, it, it's going to be, it's not going to end well. So I think that's something for people just to keep in mind. But yeah, spot on. Case, this has been great, man. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Do you have any closing thoughts? Anything you want to just kind of leave listeners with as we sign off? Yeah, yeah. No, first off, thank you so much for having me, Gabe. This, this is one of the things I'll just say that I love doing is I've, I've, you know, chatted on a whole bunch of different podcasts, for, you know, in all sorts of different industries. But, you know, the board game industry is always special to me, just because of my own personal connection with there. And, you know, I've always found such a community and such a family in board games in general. So um, first off, I just want to say I'm really grateful for you having me on and, and letting me chat about this. Um, 
and yeah, just as a, as a parting note, you know, kind of everyone, I would just say that don't overthink it, right? Like don't overthink it. Treat, treat your customers, treat your employees as you would treat your family, treat your friends, people that you cared about. Really, it's not, you know, some complex equation. I mean, the whole thing that we're kind of saying, I think today is the importance of not overthinking it, right? You don't, don't think about, okay, what are the dollars and cents if I make this decision? Because that's going to take you down the wrong path. Instead, just sit back and think, hey, how do I make this exceptional? You know, things like if someone loves this game, they might love this other game, right? Like all of these different things that you can kind of bake in just based on your knowledge, thinking about what you know that you can give to people. Um, I think that's a that's such a key piece. And and I touched a couple times on on Bonjoro and this ability to send out personal video emails. I think that's a really cool avenue. If anyone listening is curious about um, a little more about that, like how how you essentially can use it to you know, touch base with play testers or, you know, thank people who buy your game or follow up with people that back your Kickstarter or, you know, reach out and connect better with, you know, reviewers. Totally happy to chat more. Um, I'll leave uh, you, Gabe, with, with my contact information if anyone wants to touch base and, and learn a little more about that. Um, but the website is bonjoro, B-O-N-J-O-R-O.com. Um, you can get in, no credit card. We have a free open trial. Um, just mess around with it, you know, try it out, send some bonjouros to a couple people um, and see if you like it, see if you find it's a helpful medium, see if people are receptive to it. Um, I personally think it's a great way to keep that human connection as, as part of the ethos of your company brand. Awesome. Well, Casey, this has been great. Really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with Archon, the game. I know you got an expansion that you're working on. Good luck with Bonjoro yes. and everything else you got going on right now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?